right. It's the Arts Report on CITR 101.9. Today it's Biff, it's Olio, it's Brink, and it's the French. Stay tuned. Hello and welcome to the Arts Report on CITR 101.9. You may also be listening on CITR.ca. I recommend it. We have a mobile player. It's a whole thing. Today on the show, we are going to be talking about some of the festivals that are happening this very weekend, starting tomorrow, in fact. We'll be talking about the Olio Festival. Ariel Fournier has talked to uh, Pat and Chris Kelly from This Is That Radio. And what we will be talking about more specifically is their live show that is coming up this weekend. And then uh, later on, we'll be talking to Jason Zampano about Cartoon College. Cartoon College is being sponsored by CITR at the VIF Festival. And uh, you know what? It is a great film about, well, it, it's kind of in the name. It's, it's about a cartoon college. But Jason Zampano actually did the original scoring for the film. And he liked it so much that it actually has influenced his own composition. And we'll talk to him a little bit about that later in the hour. And then rounding up the rest of the arts report, we will be looking into the Brink Festival. You've been to the Fringe, now go to the Brink. We'll be talking to Joyce, the director of the Vancouver Asian Canadian Theatre, as well as Loretta Sito of Why Wait and Dave Demapolis of Filipinos On Board and Pan City. And remember to stick around at 6 p.m. And we have this little new thing that for now I'm calling Arts Extra. That's an exclamation on the end. If you didn't notice, it's Arts Extra. I guess that's more of a question mark. A practice. But anyway, for now it's called Arts Extra, and it's where we are going to do a little bit extra. Our special themes, special documentaries, and special festivals that um, may not all fit into the arts report. And that is going to be every other week when we have content for you. And it's a great way for newcomers to CITR and uh, the arts report if they want to do special projects. So if you want to learn more about that, please feel free to email me at arts at citr.ca. Hopefully you're also following us on Twitter uh, at citr underscore arts report and on Facebook as well, facebook.com slash arts report. So in Arts Extra today, we will be talking about the picks of the Fringe. We have two picks from the Fringe as well as one holdover. We'll be talking about Loon, Weak Sauce, Home Free, and more. So let's get right into it. This Is That is a CBC show for the ages, as I like to say. And uh, it is actually a parody of all that is CBC. Well, you know what? Why don't we give you a little taste before we get too deep? 
You might have somebody kind of talking like this about something that is more kind of scientific and like uh, knows a little bit about uh, science and technology. You might have uh, kind of somebody, uh, yeah, somebody who's just kind of like, you know, uh, really concerned about the, the, you know, economic uh, future of the country. And uh, in my opinion, uh, this is the greatest uh, city in the the world, Toronto. And, uh, you know, it's, it's no secret that uh, you know the rest of the provinces so us for um, you know all of the the things that we've done to put this country on the map yes you might hear a guy like that uh, there's uh you know there's typically kind of these older guys who are kind of done something a little bit foolish in a small town you know they may have thought it was a pretty darn good idea to do something with the community center but it all just kind of blew up in their faces see eh? <laughs> Which is and the then you just just me going. You're listening to this is that on CBC Radio One. And, and today, and today we're talking to a guy like this. Yeah. So it's just you know imagine me doing that for an hour with another guy who's also doing that for about an hour. Yeah, that was Pat Kelly from This Is That running through some of the voices that he'll be doing at the live show of This Is That at the Olio Festival, which starts tomorrow, and it's going to be at. Fortune Sound Club. No, it is not. It's going to be at the Electric Owl, and I'll be there, so that's how we know. Um, This Is That is CBC's weekly fake radio news show. Pat Kelly and Peter Aldrin are the hosts and guests on the weekly program, and they'll be doing a live version. Our correspondent, Ariel Fournier, talked to Pat and and his brother and producer, Chris Kelly, about making fun of your employer doing a live show for Olio and why so many people confuse their show for reality. What is This Is That? Well, in the simplest way of putting it, This Is That's like a fake current affairs program. So we sort of decided the inspiration for the show was basically we all grew up listening to CBC. And so, and we thought, well, that would be an interesting way to do comedy is to sort of stick it in that kind of tone and stay true to that kind of tone and personality. But then what we're talking about is completely fake. Do you still get a lot of calls from people who mistake the show for reality? Absolutely. Every week. Every week. (laughs) And the thing is, you know, it's not, I don't know if it's like, if we can attribute it to us being, you know, chameleon-like with our radio show. I think it's mostly because the radio is such a passive medium, right? It's that people are coming in and out of it. Majority of the people that were kind of convincing, at least temporarily, that this is a real show, you know, they've come into it halfway through and they hear something that sounds exactly like everything else that they hear on CBC, but it's a little off. And so then they would phone and react. Chris, I was just wondering, I mean, like, well, you're behind the scenes on this show, yeah. and, but you also do a lot of, you know, you work with Radio 3, and then outside of Radio 3, you have stuff at China Cloud. Mm-hmm. You're sort of all over the map in terms of... Super cool uh, guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool. That's what I'm, I'm on the say. scene, man. Yeah. yeah. But how would you say this kind of thing compares to other things on the scene? Um, I think it's very much in that world. And it's partially because like me and Pat are coming from that world. Like, you know, we're not far removed from the organizers of Olio. Like, you know, like we'll see them at shows or parties or whatever and they'll come by the china cloud so like it's so our sensibilities are sort of tied in with that sort of 
age group and demographic and the, the aesthetic there. So it's not surprising that we were asked to be a part of the Oleo Festival. Um, uh, I, though we may be on the CBC, I think if we weren't on the CBC and we were just a podcast, we might have been asked anyway. Yeah. Yeah. You know, our show to maybe, um, for us, our intention of it is kind of, it's like a love letter to CBC and the things that we grew up listening to. Like, we're, we're you know, we're doing doing it. We have a, we're, we're, we're doing it, you know, an imitation of them because we love what it is. But I would say that maybe the community, you know, that may be a bit more connected to Olio would see it as though we're making fun. And that works too. But it's not our intention, right? Do you yeah, know what right, I mean? right. But there is a sensibility that is like likes the show because they think we're like kind of taking it to the, you know, CBC. <laughs> it's it seems like it is it is surprising to me at least that how willing the CBC is actually to go for that sort of format, even when when it might be uncomfortable. Yeah, we've been told this that there was like over the years, like they have been pitched like crazy people saying they want to do a parody of CBC. Like, you know, it's not really necessarily a new concept. It means that it's on everybody's kind of radar. The impulse has been there for a long time to do a show that, you know, kind of lampoons what CBC Radio is. And then we just made it. So mm. I think it was much easier for them to hear it. Like, we just made the pilot. And so once they heard it, I think they were like, oh, okay, yeah, that actually sounds okay. Let's do that, you know. Rather than on paper, it sounds like a very difficult thing to kind of sell somebody. So I was just wondering, could each of you just tell me what what some of your favorite interviews you've done have been? Yeah, I mean, I like the ones that are that get the reaction, like when we get the calls from people who are um, take both sides of the argument. So if we put something out there that we think is absolutely ridiculous, but uh, you know we know we're going to get calls saying that guy was an absolute get like that's a terrible idea, but then you get people saying. I like that guy, the guy's idea. It was great. He was, you know, those are the most satisfying like Cat ones. Parker. <laughs> yeah, like um, trying to think of a specific one. Well, can, Canadian flag is sort of the classic yeah. example. Last week's was was fun, like yeah. Innovation Hour. We did one on Innovation Hour two weeks ago, which was about like an idea yeah, by a guy who who's in Calgary who's saying that we should have a basically the opposite of Earth Hour, a one hour every year where we just turn everything on to like celebrate all the things we can do. And yeah. and I got calls both sides, right like right down the middle. Really? Yeah. yeah. Um oh that's a big one. Uh the Toronto neighborhood bands yeah. kids. Yeah. Yeah. You got calls from both sides. Yep. Yeah. Hundred percent. Still going on. Because this is the thing with like web. It's just like it's up there, and every couple of days, you'll have somebody going, Did you see this? Great idea. Yeah. To ban children from a neighborhood? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. So you can totally. have child-free neighborhoods child for couples that don't want to have kids around. That's sort of, like, the cool thing about the show, is that you're able to sort of air these ideas that, like, no current affairs show would ever put on the air sometimes. Yeah. And but, the other thing but our people are sort of thinking about as well. Another one that, like, it's it's just a good, like, comedy bit, too, but it was the early on, and it kind of, you know, showed us that the, the power of this kind of, like, show, and also just, it's not our intention to sort of analyze this or, you know, critique the modern media and where we get our information from and all this stuff, but the Calgary, we did one on the Calgary Aquarium closing, you know, unfortunately, they had to close their doors, and it was very difficult for them to transfer animals to other places. Other aquariums didn't want to take them, so they were going to invite Calgarians down on Saturday to have a barbecue. 
So you could pick what you wanted, right. a manatee or whatever, and they would barbecue it up. Like, flooded with calls, obviously, people outraged. But what was interesting about it is, A, there's not an aquarium in Calgary. There never has been. B, we said it closed after a month because it, no one went. So they were like, well, let's close it. It was like a million-dollar kind of, uh, facility, you know, and no one went in Calgary because they didn't they're prairie people and they don't care about seeing sea life and stuff like this and then you know we revealed that this is what they're going to do and that that kind of stuck out to us like wow wow. people just do take whatever is thrown at them so when you're doing it live then how do you kind of maintain that tension of like maybe it's real which is a little bit a part of the joke well we try to stay as kind of deadpanny as we can when we're doing it live but it's the impulse is to you know you have an audience and they start laughing and yeah and you you know find new ways to improvise within that kind of tone but it, it does get a little bit bigger in front of the audience yeah that's the nice thing about the live show it's and actually then, quite a relief yeah to do it in yeah. front of the live audience because when you're in the studio you know you have to adhere to this really believable realistic kind of tone and it's quite a challenge to kind of you know, find subtle ways of being funny and all that kind of stuff. Whereas in front of an audience, you can kind of unleash it a little bit more, you know? Yeah. And a lot of people think that the the radio show is written, but what they don't realize is that the whole thing is improvised. And so um, it's really actually quite entertaining. You do get to, like, in front of a live audience, you get to improvise. That was Ariel Fournier talking to Chris Kelly and Pat Kelly, uh, the producer and host of This Is That. The live version of their very popular radio show will be on at the Olio Festival tomorrow at 8 p.m. at, and I was right the first time, according to the Olio Festival website, the Rio Theater. Tickets are 15 bucks. Um, Pat Kelly and Peter Aldrin, the hosts, will be improvising fake interviews for your listening pleasure. Grant Lawrence from the CBC will be emceeing, and Graham Clark will be opening. Um, and also check out Graham Clark at uh, Stop Podcasting Yourself Live, which I am definitely going to go to as well. Uh, I'm a big comedy nerd, and I'm very excited about all the really great popular comedy that's happening uh, this weekend at the Olio Festival. You can check out all the information at oliofestival.com. I would recommend picking up one of their paper copies uh, all around town, including at CITR, to learn a little bit more about what you can see at the festival. We are going to take a quick break, and when we return, we will be considering Jason Zampano and Cartoon College. Stay with us. UBC's Museum of Anthropology displays long-term and visiting exhibits of indigenous art from around the world, and guided tours are free. Our permanent collection features one of the world's finest exhibits of Northwest Coast First Nations art. Our collection includes 36,000 ethnographic pieces, 535,000 archaeological pieces, and over 600 pieces in the Kroner Ceramics Gallery. There's a lot to take in. Luckily, at the Museum of Anthropology, final exams are always take-home. If you've never checked out this world-class facility, now's your chance. The Museum of Anthropology is located right on campus and free for all UBC students and faculty. Come enjoy our collection and resources. 
Study and Go Abroad Fair, Canada's largest international university and student travel fair, is back in town. Another great opportunity to meet face-to-face with top universities from around the world to start planning your trip abroad. Exhibitors will be showcasing programs in law, medicine, health sciences, arts, and so much more. Mark Saturday, September 22nd on your calendar and come down to the Vancouver Convention Center. Doors open at 1 p.m., but come early at noon to catch our guest speaker. Check www.studyandgoabroad.com for more information and to pre-register online. Yes, we will be live broadcasting from the Recruit in Canada Fair uh, this Saturday from 1 to 3 p.m. And I will be there. I will help hosting. I love doing the live broadcasting. So please check us out. And it's going to be great for students. If you know any students or you are one yourself and you want to learn a little bit about schools and opportunities all over the world, uh, we will be there for a couple hours on Saturday afternoon. But for now... Let's check out a little bit from Cartoon College, which is sponsored by CITR and will be uh, at the Vancouver International Film Festival this year. No, I'm just saying, if we go into this, we want to think about the design, we want to think about composition, we want to think about what we want where. We can throw like an image from the spine on the cover so that the whole thing looks like it's the inside of an open. In this case, do we want to hand draw the rabbits on the cover, though? No. No. But but we're going to no. have... The... No. Why don't we blue pencil out all together, jam style, on one sheet of paper? Yeah. Cohesive cover might be easier in the end, rather than trying to say we're going to put this part on digitally after the fact. Why? Comics, comics, mini comics. comics. The new comics. What's this? Comics, comics. Comics are all turned over in the comics. Comics, comics, comics. Graphic novels. Comics. Yes, if you didn't catch that, the movie is about comics. It is a documentary. Each fall, the Center for Cartoon Studies invites 20 of the world's most promising cartoonists and graphic novelists, of course, to uh, the almost nothing town of White River Junction, Vermont. It has seen better days and the Cartoon College or the Center for Cartoon Studies is probably the biggest thing there. These cartoonists come to complete a a two-year program, a grueling Master of Fine Arts degree, uh, and then maybe they'll get some sort of career in one of the world's most labor-intensive and drudgerous, that's a word now, uh, art forms. Um, there's a, a huge cast of uh, some of the biggest names in literary co- comics, uh, Linda Berry, Scott McCloud, Jason Lutz, um, Art Spiegelman, who is so badass, by the way, um, all talk about what the... Co- comic book and cartoon industry is but it's really the students that are the most interesting now you get to see their ups and their downs uh, their stresses and in some places their love and in many places their loneliness there are quite a number of people who feel very uh, stressed and detached um, but in a way that seems very uh, familiar probably to most artists when you're very, very focused on a very, very intricate process. 
Another one of the very exciting parts of the film is the music. There are uh, submissions by uh, Portastic, Tortoise, Tokyo Police Club, Quinn Marston, The Hot IQs, Fire Tapes, and an original score by Jason Zampano. He is a unbelievably well-known and prolific artist uh, from Vancouver. He's been here practicing for over 20 years. And you may know him from Zampano, from Sparrow. Uh, he's worked with uh, he, his latest project, Cyrillic Typewriter. And I talked to him a little bit outside uh, the VIF Theater about what it was like to score uh, this, pieces, uh, this piece and, and work with the uh, directors and what effect it's actually had on his own work. by Tara Ray, one of the creators of this movie, who was interested in my piano instrumental music. And I just happened to be playing a show in Manhattan where she lived at the time, and we met up, we talked about it, and I gave her a couple of CDs, and she loved it so much that it completely scores her first movie, Manhattan, Kansas. So her and Josh, her husband, contacted me, say, three years ago, and just got me to score this film. It was a long process. So it was the filmmakers rather than the film that kind of brought you in? Exactly, exactly. Um, can you tell me a little bit about the difference between, you know, creating your own music and creating music for film? It's actually quite similar because I'm, I mean, I'm giving them my music, but there is a vibe and I have to be careful too how to place it because they give me like, you know, if there's not, not too busy, you know, I mean, they, uh, they actually edit it. Admittedly, they actually edit everything together. In fact, they reuse songs at different parts, but... I know it's their vision, but it's still, like, I don't really think about it as that, which I'm not sure if that's the proper way to do it. So you, you think of it more as a collaboration yeah, and an addition. Exactly. I think they're asking me, I think, because they like what I've done in the past, so I'm giving them something kind of similar. So it's kind of a combination of their movie theme and what I've been doing for many years. Um, is there a big difference between what you've done between the two films? Yeah, one is just, well, for one, I wrote uh, music specifically for this movie. The other one is just music that had already existed, that they liked, and that's all just very... Uh, atmospheric let's say piano music very light kind of airy this one was like a little wackier a little more cartoony if you will um and yeah i it's it's basically just for them like i didn't i had to go into it completely cold so uh were there any preparations that you did did you watch a bunch of cartoons i (laughs) i didn't watch any cartoons i mean i've watched a lot of cartoons in my day I mean, I had to watch their movie a few times. I mean, it's gone through different edits, so that was a bit tricky. In fact, when I first started, I only saw, like, a small trailer for it, so that was kind of weird. I mean, I do have comics at home, but I don't think that's relevant. I did name every song after Love and Rockets, uh, incidental, like, uh, uh, background store names and T-shirts. I don't know if you remember Love and Rockets. It dates back to the 80s, but... Um, so I, I wouldn't say it's an influence, but it kind of got me a little more excited about doing it. But I wouldn't say I watched any cartoons. I, so did you want it to be kind of maybe not too cartoonish? Uh, Wanted it to come from the film versus the subject matter? Yeah, I didn't want it to be too cartoonish. In fact, when they did the first edit for the film, say, oh, I don't know how long ago that was, two to three years ago? Because it's taken a long time. It was the first edit, and I gave them the first batch of songs. And she referred to it as Peanuts on Acid. So it was pretty wack. It was a little bit wack, a little carnival-y, a little cartoony. And that was okay at first, but then the whole movie got... didn't get scrapped, but it almost did. And they were, so I just had to do the music all over again. And they wanted more of, like... I mean, there's a few other songs in it from, like, band, like, indie rock stuff. 
they kind of wanted that vibe. I'm not really into that, but I did some like some guitar stuff. I wouldn't call it indie, but like a little more rock and roll. Mm-hmm. I know no one can see the quotes. Classic. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that's more the vibe. So it's kind of like that with uh, a more up-tempo instrumental music with like synths and guitar and percussion and stuff, as opposed to just piano and background music. Um, so tell me a little bit about uh, your latest album. <laughs> the Cyrillic Typewriter? Yeah. It's a pop record. Um, there's 14 songs on it. It's vinyl only at the moment. I'm hopefully to release it digitally. I just sent it out to radio stations. Do you have any tracks on there that are particularly close to your heart? Well, I'm not sure if I'm supposed to admit this, but there's two tracks. Well, okay, close to my heart. They're all, they're all close. I won't tell any of them what you said. No, okay. <laughs> Um, two of the songs actually are from the movie. I liked them so much Excellent. that I put some uh, vocals on top of two of them. Oh, wow. I actually haven't told the filmmakers that yet. I don't think they're going to care, but I did do that. Uh, obviously, then, the music for the film is So You. As someone who's been performing and, and writing for as long as you have, I want to know what is the value kind of creating a new cha- uh, challenge or a set of limitations or tasks well, that is to the perform challenge. for? That is, that's exactly what you just said, like the limitations. Uh, going with someone else's vision but not musically and trying to tie the two in together and trying to, to complement it like I can just make my own album make it as cryptic as I want and whatever and people don't really necessarily know, have to know what I'm talking about but with them it's, it's instrumental but it's supposed to you know there's some heavy scenes say in the movie like kind of serious scenes and so what <laughs> if I'm not as serious as this person how do I translate my music into a specific scene I'm kind of rambling here but that's that's really the challenge, and then to do it from like you know, for thirty seconds or thirty-five seconds or thirty-two seconds—that's really tricky. I mean, again, admittedly, they, they you know, they weren't perfect. Uh, a lot of times, weren't exact, so they had to edit, you know, fade in, fade out, and all that stuff. But other than that, yeah, it's it's totally tricky. Do you think, super fun. Of do course. you think that will do you think that will influence your um, personal composition yeah, in the future? So. I think it already has. Yeah, for sure, especially the instrumentation. You know, I don't usually use synths or wacky percussion or whatever, but now I, I play, like, I almost never played guitar in my whole life. Now I'm playing guitar and when I'm recording. Like, sort of like typewriter has guitar all over it. So, yeah. so if anyone doesn't like the guitar, <laughs> send your complaints to the directors of Cartoon College. Yes, exactly. There you go. <laughs> Are you a film buff, or do you watch a lot of films? Anything? I watch a see? lot of films. Yeah. Are you excited for anything at the festival this you know year? What? I know they mentioned the Michael Haneke movie that's coming out, and I'm a big fan of his, so that's the only thing I can mention, really. Well, thank you so much for speaking with me and the Arts yeah. Report. Is there anything else you'd like to add before I let you back into the fray? Okay. Just please come out to the Vancouver Film Festival. Absolutely. Thanks so much. <laughs> oh, and buy my record, of course. <laughs> yeah. Thanks so much, very Thanks. much, Jason. Yeah, Jason... Uh... What isn't he in? Um, Cyrillic typewriter, he mentioned. That uh, is uh, Jason on guitar, piano, keyboards, percussion, bass, and vocals, uh, backed up by Christina Resba, Megan Bradfield, and Nathaniel Seneff. And you can find that on jazzrecords.com. And uh, you can also uh, find him on jasonzampano.com and all his various projects. Um, What I would uh, like to do now is play you a track um, from uh, Cyrillic Typewriter. Now, uh, the two songs that are on the uh, the latest album, uh, which has just been released, as he mentioned, uh, French Door, uh, are uh, Veto's Gold and 
Costigan's Manor, Pavilions, and Palaces. Um, they were originally recorded, as he mentioned, for the movie and then added some vocals. Um, I am going to be doing a, a review and uh, some more of that interview for Discorder, so check that out in the uh, film stripped edition uh, in October of Discorder Records. So here is a Cyrillic typewriter, another track uh, off uh, their latest uh, visions of Daniel. Turkeys retired. It's two a coffer. It could not leave her. It's all she had of the planets and was inside. In the book. Yeah, my streets were described. Six cocktails inside. gives you a little taste of what you might be hearing uh, on the Cartoon College. So you can check that out at uh, vif.org for the screening times specifically. However, um, the actual uh, dates are September 29th, October 4th, and October 5th. The directors are Josh Melrod and Tara Ray. And uh, check out lots of films, uh, including another film that we're sponsoring, Frankenstein. Uh, it's actually a study of a new production and the history of the famous novel. And we'll talk about that next week on the show. I have a couple of announcements before we take our next break. First off, uh, we have something from our beloved BC Acapella team, uh, team club rather. Uh, they do our intro and our outro. 
And uh, they are actually doing a workshop coming up uh, tomorrow from 6 to 8 p.m. A singing workshop, Woodward's One Lecture Hall from 6 to 8 p.m. There's also auditions coming up between September 21st and September 23rd. So you can check out all the information on that at www.ubcacapella.com. Lots of amazing things happening this weekend. I've already mentioned uh, Recruit in Canada. We have Olio coming up and Brink, which we will talk about later in the show. Uh, if you are interested in checking out Brink, which is three acts, um, three plays, that uh, one of which was actually at the Fringe last year, uh, you can learn more about that later in the show, but we are giving away tickets. So if you're interested in checking that out, it's 604 822 2487 604-822-2487 and feel free to uh, hear a little bit about that later in the show. Finally, on September 30th, the Arts Report is hosting a panel called Tell Me a Story, a Rality and Literature in a Textual World. And we will be talking with Sirish Rao, Woody Morrison, Lizzie Carp, and Candice James, four individuals in the lower mainland storytelling and literature scene so to speak and they all have different interactions with uh, literature and storytelling next week on the show on september 26th we will be having uh two guests lizzie carp and woody morrison introduce themselves and we may even hear from sirish and candace as well and that'll give you a little taste of what we're going to talk about on sunday you can check us out uh, at the bottom of uh, the Alpha Lamb room in the bottom of the downtown Vancouver Public Library as part of the Word on the Street Festival, which is happening from September 28th till the 30th. We will be having our free panel at 3 o'clock p.m. And uh, please check out the whole festival at wordonthestreetfestival.com. And I will post more on that uh, earlier next week. Another thing, if you uh, are interested in uh, the festival, uh, sound walking stories on foot. So Vancouver New Music, who you can check out at newmusic.org, on September 30th, as well, uh, October 7th, October 14th, are doing uh, free sound walks. And they're led by members of the Vancouver Soundwalk Collective. The first one uh, happening uh, starting at 12 p.m. on September se- Sunday, September 30th. Um, you can find more information uh, either at newmusic.org or Word on the Street info booth at the Library Square. It is free, and you will get to experience Word on the Street in a whole different way. Uh, they run every hour, and each walk is a about 20 minutes long, and you can come and listen to the sounds of the street as a musical sonic adventure, revealing the ordinary to be extraordinary. It's open to all ages, and it's actually a part of Culture Days. Um, If this kind of thing interests you, you can also check out the sonic treasure hunt that they're doing on the 7th, October 7th, uh, meeting at the VCC Clark Skytrain Station. That's also free. It'll be led by Melina Drovneva and Brady Marks. And in this sound walk, Brady and Melina will take you on a treasure hunt 
for hidden sounds. Uh, your mission is to find and experience them drifting in and out of the environment. So if you're interested in a new way of participating in the soundscape of our city, as well as the literature scape, <laughs> then uh, this will be something really cool to check out. So remember, 3 p.m. Saturday. 3 p.m. on Sunday, September 30th. I should know the date of my own panel, correct? Correct. Um, and I will be moderating it. Uh, I've put together the panel. I'm very, very excited, and I am very excited to maybe see some listeners there. Feel free to uh, come and harangue me after the panel and tell me all the things that I'm uh, doing wrong, uh, and please, hopefully, some things that I'm doing right. All right, so we are going to take uh, another brief break, and when we return, we will round out the show with a discussion of the Brink Festival. Please stay tuned. Listen, if they're so hot, how come they're not tearing up the charts, babe? Because you never play them, babe. At CITR, our hosts choose the music they play. That means our charts actually reflect the tastes of music lovers, as opposed to focus groups. So if you want to know what's really tearing up the charts, get your hands on a copy of Beatroot or Discorder magazine, or go online to CITR.ca. CITR's charts are based on actual spins motivated by actual preference. No payola, no marketing, just good tunes. Refreshing, no? soundtrack to your life, perhaps a song from a film or a tune from TV. My name is Gap. Exploding Head Movies is here to give you sounds from the cinema, along with the songs that will be defining your future, and those forgotten classics that need a little rescue. Monday, 7.30 to 9 p.m. on CITR 101.9 FM, Vancouver. Become a friend of CITR and get great discounts in the UBC Westside area at The Australian Boot Company, Banyan Books, The Bike Kitchen, The Eatery, Fresh's Best Salsa, Gargoyles Grill, Gumdrops, Prussian Music, Rufus's Guitar Shop and the UBC Bookstore. It pays to be a friend of CITR. To learn more, come visit us in room 233 of the sub on UBC campus or check us out online at citr.ca. Hi, I'm Province Entertainment columnist Stuart Dardane. And when I'm looking for a little bit of inspiration to find out where the arts are, I go to CITR's Arts Report on Wednesdays from 5 to 6. And welcome back to the Arts Report on CITR 101.9. You've been to the Fringe. 
I'm assuming you have. Uh, it's a pretty long festival. It's still going, and we'll be talking about that at 6 p.m., some of the pics of the Fringe that are still running. But this isn't the Fringe. No, this is the Brink. Yeah, from September 20th until the 23rd, you can actually go to Granville Island and see three shows from Vancouver Asian Canadians uh, and some Seattle Asian Canadians. I mean, Americans. Um, it's Seattle is, is pretty close to Canada, let's just be honest. Um, who are uh, Who didn't make the lottery this year. Um, but still wanted to showcase their talents for Vancouver. And to learn a little bit more about why Brink exists and uh, what we can expect there, I talked to uh, Joyce Lamb, who is the Artistic Director of the Vancouver Asian Canadian Theatre. So let's talk a little bit about Brink, which is not apparently blank with an accent, <laughs> is what I've read. Um, but that was the joke you were kind of thinking of in the back of your mind. Well, no, that was a joke that came later because Brink was actually for the edge uh, on the Brink, right? On the and, Brink. And like the fringe on mm -hmm. the edge. So we really wanted to stay true to what the fringe represented. Mm -hmm. So it was on the Brink, so Brink. And then we said, oh, kind of sounds like blink with the Asian accent <laughs> and it came later <laughs> the fringe is uh, you know it's a lottery mm -hmm. but perhaps maybe the makeup of, of theater as it is or the theater community that you're still getting a lot of white faces so is uh, was that kind of the beginning of the process of putting together the Brink Festival tell me a little bit about that well we noticed in the fringe and because they do it by lottery um, they can't control what acts go into the fringe but uh, I was just wondering how many people got in and I was looking at the wait list and uh, I noticed a lot of Asian Canadian specific names are on the wait list and I said hmm how strange is it really random <laughs> and so I said you know what we should just see if these people are interested and do our little festival just to show that you know these people wanted to get in the fringe but couldn't get in and just make the whole theater scene a little bit more colorful and uh the Brink was then born. So basically what we're trying to do is just get people to come to the Brink Festival to see three independent shows that deal with um, either Asian Canadians on stage, making fun of stereotypes, because really that's where it starts, because you can get a lot of people into the theater by breaking down those stereotypes, because stereotypes come from some sort of truth. And when we actually play up on the stereotypes, we're reclaiming what we think mm -hmm. is how we see it as, because we know that there's a fourth character or dimension to that person, so we know that these stereotypes are not true. So when we know that and we portray it as a stereotype, everybody's laughing along with us, not at us. Mm -hmm. So we want a festival that has independent acts with independent people and uh, different topics too, because uh, we actually have a love triangle and we actually have a comedy about universal women issues and I saw a Loretta's play last year and it was just fantastic. I was nodding the whole time laughing with her and go oh my goodness it's so true it just hits every woman's issue about food and image and it's going to relate to everybody regardless of if you're, if you're Asian Canadian or not so that's a good show to see regardless if you're in the brink. It was a good friend show. So and David he's all their group is always funny. Um, uh, really talented three men who really know how to make people laugh. 
1250 <laughs> you can't miss and the one that's coming up from seattle keep on loving you by leroy um, is our international group <laughs> like the fringe and they're coming up from seattle and theirs is a love triangle and um it's a comedy love triangle so he's a good writer and i don't know a lot about his actors but they're, they're all actors trying to make it in seattle as well so they're, they're willing to come up pay the fare come across borders uh, spend money on a hotel room so I hope people will come and support them and just see what they're all about as well and that was Joyce talking a little bit about the kind of basis the foundation of the Brink Festival and uh, I actually at that same time got to talk to uh, a few of the participants she mentioned three shows so there's Why Wait which was actually at Fringe BYOV, Bring Your Own Venue, at the Cults last year, written by Loretta Sito with uh, Gemma Isaac being uh, the performer of that one. Keep on Loving You, written by Leroy Chin with uh, Katarina Choi, Michael Gespers, and Kayla Stapleton. And then Pan City uh, by FOB, Filipinos on Board, with Chris Casillian, Vijay De Los Reyes, and Dave Dimapolis. And... I got to speak with Loretta and Dave uh, at Joyce's home, which was very lovely of her to have us. Now, uh, why don't we start with Loretta telling us a little bit about her show, Why Wait? My name is Loretta Sito. I'm the writer and producer of the play Why Wait, uh, which is a one-woman show, and it's... uh, kind of like a comedic, dramatic take on one woman, uh, one woman's issues with weight and body image and uh, kind of just the perception of herself as compared to what the world tells her she should look like. And so is it uh, your personal experience or is it amalgamation of experiences that you you've discovered over the years tell us a little bit about that yeah i mean i think it's kind of uh it comes from me i think there are things in the play that are are a little bit personal but i think it also is just my my thoughts on um how women in in particular uh struggle with with their body image and and what they're told they should look like by media by you know other people by other women by men um and i think that um it's it's kind of a universal story, I think, that, that everybody does have those issues to some extent. Do you think it's uh, those types of issues are compounded when you are also a person of color? Um, because there's also, like, whiteness mm-hmm. is very normalized in, mm-hmm. in the media as well? Uh, I think it can be compounded. I don't know if I had that in mind when I was writing the piece. Mm-hmm. But um, given that... Uh, our performer is Filipino-Canadian. I think that the, maybe that is brought into it. Um, I think that people people can see that in the play as well. But as I said, I don't. I didn't purposely write that into the play. So. Mm-hmm. And what is you, what is your background in kind of the theater scape in Vancouver or outside Vancouver? Uh, I'm pretty new to theater. I didn't actually enter the theater scene until a couple of years ago. Um, and that was due to taking a course at the Playwrights Theatre Centre, which uh, was called Block P. And part of the requirement of that course was to put on a fringe show. 
my play, Why Wait, actually was at the Fringe last year as part of the Bring Your Own Venue. So we rented out the, the lab space at the Kulch and put on, on the play there. And what is the difference between the showing, if any, this year as last year at the Fringe? Uh, well, it's a new performer, so we have a different performer, a different director. Um, the script is, is generally the same, but uh, we've added some elements to it. We have a musical number in it that wasn't in it last year, and the ending has changed a little bit. Um, so it's, it's still, you know, comedic and dramatic, mm-hmm. um, but maybe it sort of leans a little bit more towards comedic this time around, um, just due to our actress, who I think is very talented, Gemma Isaac, and she has this lovely... Uh, natural, I think, likability and comedic kind of timing. Did you at any point have in mind a specific audience for a show like this? Or were you thinking more just a kind of a more universal human experience? Uh, When I wrote it, I think I wasn't necessarily thinking of a specific audience. I was writing it... um, I mean, it spoke to me, the piece. But after I wrote the first draft, I realized, okay, this is quite a... Uh, I mean, I think it's it's more geared, perhaps, to female audiences, but I think men can also enjoy it. I, a lot of guys turned up last year, and I got a lot of comments that they thought it was very funny as well. Um, but I guess, you know, if I had to choose, you know, a particular demographic then I probably would say yeah it does appeal I think to women because it is uh, it's a, a one woman show and, and she deals with with issues that I think as Joyce was saying a lot of women face just you know how they feel about their bodies how they perceive themselves and there's also this element of um, food mm-hmm. and and our character in this play is, is a little bit obsessed with food like she she at first tries to go on a starvation diet, but then she realizes that's not going to work, so then she just goes completely in the other direction and decides that she's just going to eat whatever she wants, whenever she wants. So that's so, so, good. <laughs> so there's kind of like this dramatic uh, shift in, in, her, in her behavior, but uh, it's all in an effort to try to discover like, how she can navigate the world and, and herself. And that was Loretta Situ talking about, uh, Sito, pardon me, talking about Why Wait, which is at the Brink Festival. And I also spoke to Dave from Pan City, which is put on by the sketch comedy group FOB, Filipinos on Board. And, uh, you know, it's a bit of a different show. It's still funny, but it's more sketch comedy, linked sketch comedy. I think they have about... 10 going on and uh he told us a little bit about some of the uh things that his show addresses including some of the filipino vancouver stereotypes same show (laughs) except ours is about um overeating Mm -hmm. and why it's good for you excellent no um my name is Dave Demopoulos, and I am one-third of the group uh, FOB, Filipinos on Board, which actually was invented. The name came up from Miss Joyce herself. So, uh, yeah, we originally were calling ourselves Fresh Off the Boat because that's what 
most racist people say when they say FOB. But uh, Joyce was like, hey, why don't you call yourselves Filipinos on board? I was like, that's a lot more PC. <laughs> so we decided on that name. So we're doing a show entitled Pan City. And uh, it's kind of like a take on Van City, except uh, in, in our language, uh, Pansit means noodles. So the show is basically, uh, it's a comedy, a sketch comedy, kind of like if you can imagine the Chappelle show mixed with Mr. Show. Mm -hmm. So it's, um, it's very organic and there's lots of really fun transitions. And you're kind of just journeying through the lives of Filipino Canadians living in Vancouver in contemporary society. So... All these uh, misconceptions and conceptions and stereotypes and truths unmasked within uh, a bunch of really fun sketches. Can you give me an example of a stereotype that you are uh, undermining and maybe a stereotype yeah. that you think actually does ring true for you? Or if well, there there's are a any? lot of, yeah, there's a lot of truths. And like uh, the show starts off with uh, three janitors who happen to be Filipino which is ha-ha-ha funny because most janitors in Vancouver are Filipino. Uh, we, we touch on nannies living in rich neighborhoods, and we touch on uh, weddings and parties and uh, celebratory events like that, mostly just celebrations. And, of course, uh, because, you know, our culture, we have lots of music and dancing, and uh, so it's just kind of a... It's more of a celebration for us and uh, just a really fun really fun time do you guys write sketches together collaboratively or did like people bring mm -hmm. an idea to the group and you develop yeah it, it depends yeah it's really funny because it's so or it's so simple and organic when we meet together we just come together and i have no idea what happens maybe <laughs> it's in the pop or the water we're drinking but we just come out of there with stuff <laughs> And uh, it's really collaborative. It's so easy to work with these guys because we, we all have our own strengths. I think when, if you, when you watch us on stage, you'll see just like everybody uh, in our group is just so strong at what they do. And, and we always are trying to, what, like the word in, in our industry is pimp. We're trying to pimp each other out, <laughs> which means we're always trying to make each other shine. And we always write sketches for each other. And we come up with ideas so everyone can do what they do best on stage. And I think, you know, it always comes out like that. When people watch our show, they always really uh, feel entertained because we're giving everything. It's not, I've been in a few other groups where, you, you know, you go in and if you're the loudest or if you're the one who's there the most, you're just going to get all the screen time and you're going to do all But we're totally not like that. We're all equal in every way. There's no real kind of power struggles. We just go in there and we come up with great ideas. And I mean... With the improv background that most uh, that we all have, it kind of it's, it comes out of that. We, they've done you know, I'd say thousands of shows if you put us all together, and coming out of all those improvised situations, you come up with so many great ideas of scenes and things like that. So it's pretty easy, yeah. Once we're together, do you um, did you put together this show specifically for the Brink Festival? Yes. So it was the the theme do you usually address um you know asianness no we, uh, well that's the fun thing about our group is that <laughs> we're you know three like great comedians and actors in the city who just happen to be filipino who just happen to be asian and i think really we push that in a lot of our comedy we just kind of you know especially in improv you can't just 
do Asian scene every scene, right? Mm-hmm. Like you go with what you're given. So we really have a great skill set that way. But uh, this specifically, we really wanted to uh, just show this side of us, you know, a side where we really just to get to poke fun at ourselves and uh, just have a great time uh, reliving stories that we'd lived when we were young and experiences that we've had together and uh, and apart within our own culture. And uh, so this, this is a, it's really a, a definitely a unique experience for us and really fun and it's really gonna be uh something special that we've got planned for everybody so yeah really excited about it and that was dave from fob and uh, the brink festival will be on uh this very weekend so please check that out it starts tomorrow and, uh, you know, you can see evening shows at 6.45, 8, and 9.15. So you can pick up all the shows at once if you have the stomach. Um, there's a lot of shows to see. Or you can spread it out. They also have matinee shows at 1.45, 3, and 4.15 on Sunday. So evening shows Thursday to Saturday and then matinees on Sunday. Um, ticket prices, you know, including tax and, and service charges and all those fun things are twelve fifty for general admission online at brinkfestival.com and then 15 bucks at the door. Uh, and actually, if you go to one show, you get a discount on the next one. So uh, they want you to see as many as possible.